All right now. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Don't stop. Go ahead. Oh, goodness. You know, but some of us, you know, have some of those particular little hells that we've made for ourselves that we find kind of comforting and familiar, and we want to stay there a little bit. Have you done that in your life? I don't know. You might be there today. I don't know. But it says, go ahead, go through it. Don't stay there. Do not stay there. It does not have that power over you. Keep on going through it. Well, I'll tell you, this Sunday is kind of fascinating for me because this releasing perfectionism thing, perfectionism is one of those places for me. I create it. I create that little hell right there surrounding me where I can't see outside it or around it or away through it, and it just stifles. It's not life-giving at all. It makes you paralyzed. doesn't allow you to go forward. It makes you procrastinate. It does all these things that, you know, just aren't helpful to go ahead, go ahead, go ahead on through it. Any other perfectionists out there? Claim it, claim it, there you know, okay. You know, it might be some other place for you that you can put a name on. Through this series, we've had lots of options of what it might be that you need to release, that you need to let go of uh, in your life, that you need to let go and go ahead and go ahead forward as we release them. Well, you got a knot in your hand from when you came in today. And the sermon, as we talk, if there's one of those places where you find yourselves building one of those little prisons for yourself, I want you to put it right in that knot, okay? If you need to tie another knot in there, you go right ahead, okay? You know, that may be your perfectionism at work, but go right ahead as you do that. But we do this to ourselves. Perfectionism is its own little kind of hell, and there's no way to win. You know, we judge things differently. I want to show you the slide and see how people how people sometimes judge themselves as perfectionists, okay? There's success, there's good enough, and there's failure. Is there really good enough? Not if you're a perfectionist. You know, there's no way to win in this because you can't be perfection, so it's always a failure. Now, that's kind of a hard way to live in that sort of prison, and we need to be able to release those things from our life so that God can encounter us more fully because if we're all full of that stuff, we're not empty enough to let something else new into our world. You know, another way of saying it on this next slide here, sometimes we believe, we believe these things. I must be perfect or no one will love me. I must be perfect or I am a complete failure. Either or, great or horrible. I must be perfect or I'll lose my job. Fill in yours. I must be perfect or, or, or whatever it is. We have these fears about perfection. You know, that we just won't be liked unless we're exactly perfect in the way everyone else wants us to be. You know, there's a challenge with perfection is usually we're comparing our insides to other people's outsides. You know, we know what our insides look like. You know, sometimes we can get a glimpse of theirs, but usually we just know what their outsides look like. So if you're really judging yourself this way, you're just not going to win. You're just not going to win. And it's not helpful to us in our faith journey, in our life journey. We've got to release, release this perfection that's within us. We have to have some compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. And Dr. Brene Brown has some suggestions, some mantras that she says to herself, almost daily, she says, to remind herself as a recovering perfectionist. And those are, quick and dirty wins the race. 
quick and dirty. My mama told me to stay out of that mud. <laughs> quick and dirty. That's really, that's really okay. It wins the race. You know, goodness gracious. Perfection is the enemy of the done. Have you ever been so interested in perfection you never got started? You know? One of my favorite shows is this TV uh, food show called Chopped. If you watch Chopped, they're against a clock and they have to get their meals plated. The perfectionists always lose. They're so busy trying to get this extra thing on there, they never finish in time. You know? Never get done. And then the last one, she says, good enough is really, really good. I don't know if you've ever told yourself that. Good enough is actually really, really good. May not be perfect, but it's really, really good. Do you remember last year the Firestarter series? Uh, the teacher of that on the video said, you know, every masterpiece could have been better. Every masterpiece could have been better. But they had to stop. There was a point in time where the masterpiece that we call a masterpiece, in their mind, they just had to stop working on it. So perfection keeps us in those binds. And, and we're, this morning we're asking ourselves to release those, to let go of that particular kind of hell in our lives so that we may allow for new things to be born, new life to come in, to release of that actually death-making behavior that keeps us imprisoned for life-giving love from the heart of God that will fill us if we only allow it to. You put anything in that not yet? Okay. Keep on putting it in there. All those things that keep you from being authentically who you are before God. You know, perfectionism is exhausting. Madeline, Madeline Lingle says that. Perfectionism is exhausting. Have you ever been worn out from being perfect before? It just wears you out. You know? And then if you're really, really good at it, that can become a badge of honor that you're so exhausted. You know, I'm so exhausted. I'm so needed. I'm so this. I'm so that. You know, that's, that's not what God wants for you is to be worn out and exhausted all the time. You know, if your idol is, is efficiency and productivity, you know, which I struggle with because I like to check off my checklist. You know, I like to check that off. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we can go to the same support group. You know, we can, we can do it. But, you know, just releasing the perfectionism of having that list complete at the end of the day, having everything so perfectly done, God's not asking that of us. God's asking us to bring our heart into life. And that's not going to be tidy. It might be a little quick and dirty. But it wins the race. And we thank Brene Brown for that good work of hers. You know, there's other kinds of special hell too, and we hear one of those today in our scripture stories. Whenever you lose someone that's dear to you, you go into survivor mode. Sometimes you go into denial, and sometimes you're afraid to let people touch you or you'll break down. Oh, I can't let people see me looking this way. I have to hold it together. There's something about losing someone you love and care about that strips away a lot of what you can do day by day. All of a sudden, you're vulnerable and open in a way that isn't comfortable. You know, but we struggle to try and hold it back together, even if it's false. You know, it needs to at least look perfect, even if it doesn't feel perfect inside. 
And today we have one of those stories with Jesus' family of choice, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Lazarus has died and he's been called home because of a death in the family. We know what family of choices are. We know what it means to invite people into our lives. You know, some of you know, some of you it's your ex. Still in your family of choice, right? Some of you have made whole families of choices with your exes. You know? But those that know you, those who can speak the truth to you, those who call you on your perfectionism, you know, who've seen the warts, uh, those family of choice kind of folks in your life. And that's who Jesus is with in the story today. See, before now, he's healed lots of people. But this is different. This is the family he loves. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is different. This is his family of choice. And he gets disturbed. I remember one of my people in my family of choice, his name was John. And John was just fantastic in my life because he did call me on my stuff. And we did fun things together. We went to Ireland and took a coastal drive around the south of Ireland. It was on his bucket list because John was HIV positive and had hepatitis C and was struggling with that at different times, more some than others. And it was a challenge for him. And then there was this thing that came out called protease inhibitors and the result for many people who had often looked like skeletons and had such weight loss was that they had what they called the Lazarus effect. That was the name in the medical literature, Lazarus effect of putting on weight, putting on energy and passion in their lives again, that it was a whole new resurrection within their bodies that they could breathe and be a part of the world again. It was, it was wonderful for us who were looking at them, thinking we would lose them in a moment. And so John had this Lazarus effect. And so we got to do much more traveling. And on this trip to Ireland, he liked to call my stuff out while he was busy being perfect. This is, our, this is his travel journal in Ireland, and just so you can see how he knows me, this is on the first page of the journal. It says, Troy was mildly terrified riding down the narrow winding road on the wrong side of the street today. I was mildly terrified. I wasn't driving, he was. You know? He says, he does not trust my police training race car driving skills on a narrow road in Ireland with stone walls on either side of you. No, I didn't trust that. Oh, goodness. But he could tell I was terrified. I might have even shrieked at one point in time. <laughs> that rearview mirror was so close to those stones, I just knew it was going to break at any moment in time. Then a few days later, he writes in here, Troy is so clearly in love with Walter. It's a joy to see and hear when he talks about him. And I find myself thinking and wanting and longing for such a love myself. I just met Walter. Just met. So here's one of my family of choice people seeing what maybe I didn't even know yet. But here he is writing it down. Troy is also so clearly in love with Walter. Well, John was one of those kinds of folks in my life, and I appreciated and loved him dearly for both the imperfect things he saw in me and then the things that he saw in me that I didn't see yet.
family of choice. When he died, it was one of the hardest things in my life. I wanted to run away. I wanted to go back and whatever behavior would help me numb or not feel. One night, our family of choice was gathered together at his home, which was perfect. The perfect colors, the perfect furniture, the perfect convertible in the garage, because this is some of who John was. And in the Lazarus effect days of that time, he had been able to build a perfect body. I don't know if you remember this, but John, John was a geek before. He'd always been a geek at heart, always a scrawny kid, but those protease inhibitors along with steroids allowed you to build muscle. And so one of the things he chose to do when he got this beautiful body was to uh, enter the Mr. Leatherman contest. <laughs> Told you he got me into trouble sometimes. And so he was all dressed up in all his regalia, and I was supposed to go with enough dollar bills so that he would win. (laughs) It's my job. Keep putting those dollar bills out there so that he would win Mr. Leather Over 50 contest. And he did. Part of the joy. So in grieving him and remembering him, some of that group of consolers and desolate folk we gathered in that home that was beautiful. I was on the landing floor with photographs and pictures and putting together the perfect poster so that when people came to the memorial service they could see and smile and laugh and remember and know and maybe remember a tune or an event in his life. And it was going pretty well perfect. I had some help, you know, with it along the way. And in the middle of this perfect process, all of a sudden, coming down the stairs, I didn't realize that the tomb was being opened upstairs. The stone was being rolled away. And what was, was that Walter and others had found John's leather chest. It was like the stone being rolled away. (laughs) I'm sitting here doing my perfect work, making sure that the poster is going to be just what it needs to be. And down the stairs comes John's daughter, Arden, in a leather hat, in a leather vest, in boots, and she's strutting like this. She's going down, and I'm looking, okay, (laughs) what's going on here? You know, and then not far behind her comes my beloved Walter. He has on a hat. He has on a harness. He has on those pants, and he has has a, a crop. You know what one of those are? You know, he has one of those crops. He comes down, he descends the stairs, he comes down until he's like two steps from the bottom, and he goes like this, whoop! And then he goes, I've been bad. Well, I said, no, honey, you're supposed to say, when you're dressed like that, you're supposed to say, you've been bad. He does... He does his little whip again, and he goes, I've been bad. (laughs) Oh. The tombstone had been rolled away, and resurrection had occurred. Life and laughters and stories and the joy of who John was just filled the space in the room and our hearts and our love in ways that we hadn't imagined before, but we let the encounter happen. And our family of choice found some healing in going into the tomb and pulling out all of that that was there. So Mary and Martha and Jesus and Lazarus are in that place. They're at home. 
they don't know why Jesus hasn't come. He's part of the family. Why isn't he there? This is tough stuff. He's always been there before. Why is he letting us down? Well, finally, Jesus goes. The disciples don't want him to go because he's been stoned. They threw stones at him just before. That's what made him leave to start off with. So they understand it's risky. So Jesus heads back. And he gets there. And Martha, Martha immediately says, If you'd been here, my brother would be alive. And she says it in such a way, you know, I hear my mom's voice when she says it. It's that, it's that voice that back when I was doing a lot of chaplaincy years ago that said, Troy, you have to be dead to get your attention. Dead or dying. What was my mama trying to tell me? I need you too. You weren't here when I needed you. I hear Martha saying to Jesus, I needed you. And you weren't here when I needed you. You know, I didn't have good balance in my life at that time. I remember going in the same period of time to a patient's room who looked at me when I was coming in the door and said to me, Troy, get out of here and don't come back until you don't look like you belong in this bed. Talk about that perfectionism that exhausts you. You know, what would it mean to live with being sure that having a good heart and being present was enough and being able to have compassion on yourself in order to take a nap. God was trying to teach me something in those days that sometimes I still have to relearn. So here Jesus encountered Martha. They have their discussion. And I believe Martha was one of those perfectionists. She knew how to do grief right. You know, she knew how to have the kitchen right. She knew how to do all those things right. And so here she is saying, you know, if you'd been here, Lazarus would be alive. So then if that doesn't get to you, Mary comes running out. The one who later, with her hair, puts oil on Jesus' feet. That Mary, that runs up and throws herself down at his feet again. And says, oh, where were you? I needed you. Why weren't you here? Lazarus would have lived. Jesus is moved. The language says Jesus weeps. It's actually more a word about anger and indignation. Jesus is riled up and has tearful anger. And in the midst of all of that, cries out, cries out, come out, Lazarus, come out. Jesus comes right in the middle of death right in the middle of death and brings forth life. I don't know how many rooms you've been in that seem so full of death. But right there, if you're open, God will bring life right into the encounter. Right in the moment, resurrection will occur for you and you will receive God anew in your life in a way that you haven't known before if we're not so busy trying to be perfect and safe and keep our feelings under control. Jesus walks right into the middle of the grieving and grieves himself and says, Lazarus, come out. Don't you love those words? Lazarus, come out. We know about family of choice. We know about coming out. 
So here in this place of time, Lazarus does respond to the one who loves him. Lazarus responds to Jesus who loves him and comes out. And the last part of the story of this grieving, this, this sadness, is that the bindings are holding him back. Whatever those bindings were, perfectionism, not being enough, scarcity, whatever lies he had told himself, whatever he knew that kept him all wrapped up and knotted up in ways that he could not live fully. And Jesus said to those there, okay, now this part's your job. This part is for you to do. It's your part to go to him and pull off the bindings. Pull off the homophobia. Pull off the pain. Pull off the hurt. Pull off all the negative things they've been told all their life so that he may have life and have it abundantly. So here we are, we have these choices. We can be all knotted up. We can be in the midst of grief. And God's going to walk right in and offer God's self. Will we be the people that receive God's love?